welcome to the TTP radio podcast on the Inside Lunch Network with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides, suspicious deaths, and other topics of interest to our audience. My name is Denny Griffin, and my co-host is Delilah Jones of Imagine Publicity. Hi, Delilah. Hi, Denny. How's it going? So far, so good. <laughs> well, that's, that's good to hear. That's good to hear on all fronts. Well, I, I, this is what, number four of our informational series? Yes. Am I correct in that? Great. And I, I just hope listeners will take the time to go back and listen to number one, number two, number three, and now this one, number four, um, for extremely good information about the Transparency Project, what to do, and the people who are involved in it, which um, a couple of our guests here today are. So that being said, I just want to put it out there that some of the podcasts on the Inside Lens Network highlight criminal cases, which in some cases are still open investigations. Our intent as as hosts of this program is to allow guests to present information for consideration by you, the listeners. Our podcasts and our hosts are in no way representative of our guests, We don't claim to solve cases, nor do we wish to jeopardize open investigations. Our guests present their own information, and while we may suggest some resources and assistance, we're not liable for their subsequent actions. So that is our our disclaimer. Anytime we are talking about uh, criminal activities and even in how to help victims, it's it's always a good thing to let them know. Um, so that being said, Denny, would you welcome our guests? I certainly will, with great pleasure. Our guests today are Jean and Shelley Cervantes of the nonprofit victim advocacy organization Citizens Against Homicide. Jean and Shelley spent most of their careers employed by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Shelley retired after 15 years to pursue a self-employment venture. In 2002, Jean retired as a Correctional Counselor 3 classification and parole rep peace officer status after 30-plus years with the department. In May 2006, both of them became victim advocates consultants for the victim oversight organization Citizens Against Homicide. They became involved with CEH as a result of the murder of Jean's beloved cousin, Angie, and her husband, Roy Woodley, on July 21, 2005. Both were in their early 70s when they were brutally killed in their Fresno, California home. Their bodies were discovered a day later by their eldest daughter, Angela. Jean and Shelley made a pact that until the case was solved, they would never allow this horrific act of violence to be forgotten, not by the local law enforcement or the residents of Fresno. This tragic event led Jean and Shelley to the current chapter in their lives. In April 2006, they met Jane Alexander, also known as Citizen Jane, and Jan Miller, co-founders of Citizens Against Homicide, at a victim rights conference in Sacramento. Those two wonderful ladies and proactive ladies quickly became their support and mentors. And in mid-December 2006, two arrests were made in the murders of Jean's cousin and her husband. Philip Woodley, Roy Woodley's son from a previous marriage, and co-offender Jeffrey Rancor 
were both arrested. Philip Woodley received two consecutive life without possibility of parole sentences for the first degree murders of his father and stepmother. Jeffrey Rancor received 18 years for his role as a co-conspirator. No one is exempt from violence and no one is ever prepared when murder encroaches on a family. One day can and does change lives forever. Gene and Shelley will never forget the day if it happened to them and the barrage of emotions that came with it. They are forever dedicated to helping families of homicide victims as they begin the unbearable process of life after a devastating loss. Gene and Shelley, welcome to the show. Thank you, Denny. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, Denny. Uh, I just want to let the audience know that uh, this is not the first time I've spoken uh, to you guys. Uh, we go back actually several years, and uh, it's it's been uh, you know we met in person on a couple of occasions, and uh, then by phone and email and, and so on and so forth. Um, and when I uh, when I wanted to do a segment or an episode on victim advocacy, you, you of course were the, the first ones to to pop into my mind. So thank you for accepting the invitation to be with us. And well, I think know. I'd like to uh, start right off with this. Gene, uh, why don't you tell the audience what a victim advocate does to assist the survivors of victims of homicide? Um, I'll be glad to, Denny. Uh, again, thank you for having Shelley and me on your podcast and giving us the opportunity to share what Citizens Against Homicide has to offer families of murder victims. As um, victim advocates, Shelley and I provide emotional support, uh, victim rights information, and assistance in filling out various crime-related forms. Uh, we may sometimes accompany victims and their families to court for trial and uh, sentencing uh, in the uh, cases where the guilty verdict is rendered. Uh, we also provide information about the criminal justice system and what to expect from the justice proceedings. My background gives credibility to the information I provide to families. Every district attorney's office in California as an advocate, which in many cases helps me because I can refer our, uh, our clients to, uh, to them for assistance. And I try to be as straightforward as possible uh, with families. Honesty is the only way to communicate with our families. In my first conversation with families, I tell them, that the three most difficult murders to solve, but not impossible, are drive-by, gang-related, and drug-related. By saying this, I can uh, avoid giving them false hope. I do reassure the families that no one deserves to be murdered and that Citizens Against Homicide will work diligently as their advocate with detectives to bring justice for their loved one. I have a, a checklist that I use, Denny, and uh, one of the questions on there 
is if the uh, family suspects anyone uh, that might want to do harm to the family member that was murdered. And uh, I remind them of the uh, uh, five commonly accepted motives for murder, and that's profit, revenge, jealousy, to conceal a crime or to avoid humiliation or disgrace. I, I do that in the hopes that they could say, oh, well, Joe Blow was jealous because he um, suspected uh, my son, who would say, say, say the son, of um, having a, a crush on his girlfriend. But, you know, something like that. But anyway, I also act as liaison between families of murder victims and the law enforcement agencies charged with the investigation. My conversations with detectives, more often than not, flow with the subject matter that pops up, sort of like playing it by ear. I make um, every effort to convince the detectives that are working the case that all the family wants is answers, and they want to know that their loved one's case is being worked. Uh, in cases where the murderer of their loved one is in prison, I have, when logistically possible, accompanied families to parole suitability hearings. And prior to my retirement, I clerked these hearings which gives me firsthand knowledge of what to expect, which is something I can share with the families. Shall I? Jenny, speaking of parole hearings, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback to, to Jane's comment. A big part of my job is helping families with parole opposition letter writing campaigns. We need to do everything we can to help keep convicted murderers in prison where they belong for as long as the state laws allow. We always feature these letters in our CAH newsletters, on our CAH Facebook page and website to, to get this information out, and it's proven to be very successful. I also work with a California-based billboard company in facilitating reward for information billboards. Since there's only been two governor reward proclamations signed in 10 years here in California, we've partnered with local crime stoppers and generally, they'll have uh, an up to $10,000 reward for information leading to any conviction. Um, and so anyway, our, our partnership with Crime Stoppers has really become a great relationship. It's, it's been a win-win for both. Thank you, Shelley. And, and before we get on to the next subject, I, I think it's only appropriate that because we're living in kind of a different world today, uh, 
than we're used to with, with the COVID and uh, and the riots and uh, protests and some peaceful, a lot of them not peaceful. Um, every everything is kind of upside down, and I'm just wondering uh, what what you think of the these efforts now to defund or totally dismantle law enforcement agencies, be they, be they the, the police or uh, like ICE or the Border Patrol. I mean, anybody that carries a badge is kind of a target to have their funding cut uh, or, or the, uh, the agency totally eliminated. And uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Denny, we are a nation of laws. And to defund the police who we depend on to enforce those laws would be um, met with catastrophic results. The um, lawlessness that would uh, follow uh, is unimaginable. It's just boggles my mind how our elected representatives could even consider um, defunding our local uh, um, police departments and and sheriff's offices. And can you imagine having no law enforcement in, in, in in our world? How are cases to be solved? Who's going to take an interest? And, and delving into these investigations without law enforcement. It's just unimaginable. It is indeed scary to me. And uh, I, I don't want to speak for either of you, but it's just my personal opinion is I am very pro-law enforcement, and we we need them, <laughs> and, and I appreciate what they do for us. Um, on the other hand is... Uh, you may or may not agree with me that on occasion, I have heard figures of, of 99% of the police uh, and uh, agents are are great, but there's a small percentage that uh, sometimes uh, maybe should be in a different line of work. And those those are the areas that I think if you run into a person like that that isn't quite up to the job. Um, then yes, they need to be weeded out. If they are actually Absolutely. doing criminal activities, then they need to be prosecuted, and they need to have something in their record so that the next agency down the road doesn't hire them, <laughs> and uh, right. you know, and put back on the street. So there, there's got to be some type of accountability, I believe. But uh, uh, those are the again the, the the minorities, but they do exist, and and we we have to acknowledge that, and they have to be addressed. But but uh, but shutting down the whole department or penalizing everybody else, including the citizens that need the protection, I, I don't believe is the way to go. I, like you say, I, I think it's absolute insanity. It is, absolutely. You know, Denny, I, I listened to um, <clears throat> uh, a gentleman, uh, and I, uh, his name and his agency, uh, I can't remember. But I listened to him, Ben speak on the um, subject matter that you just mentioned, and he says that there's a fraction of 1% 
of all law enforcement officers in the United States are um, uh, best served if they go somewhere else and become a CPA or whatever, but not in law enforcement. And um, that uh, that speaks volumes for uh, the um, uh, segment of our society that says defund police departments or law enforcement uh, agencies because um, dirty cops. You know, that that's ridiculous. Uh, we just have to have uh, police chiefs and sheriffs and uh, in, 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 in this country say this officer after an investigation is no longer a member of this agency because of and 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 you use the uh, word transparency be transparent with the with society with with our citizens don't don't nickel and dime and try to cover uh well, well, well say what's politically correct maybe that's a word that should use um you don't have to be politically correct just say it like it is and um so you know yeah i i agree you know somebody's burglarizing your house uh, you're not going to call the uh the protesters the rioters you're going to call police department um, anyway, yes, and uh, you know, well, I, I don't want to get into too much of a tirade about this, so I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll move forward here. Uh, the Gene, uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago, one of the things you do is cater for or represent, if you will, um, survivors of victims in their dealings with law enforcement agencies. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute because I'm, I believe that several of our listeners today will, will fall into this category, that their relationship with the de- department or with the detective or detectives handling the investigation into the death of their loved one sometimes reach the point that actual communication stops. Uh, animosity builds uh, and... and you know, I mean, dealing with the, with the public, it you know can be tough. Not not everyone has bedside manner and tact. So um, some people I I under, realize can be a little tough to deal with. But however, these are grieving people, uh, parents, uh, uh, spouses, siblings of of the, the deceased, and they're looking for answers. And if they suspect or have reason to believe that the investigation is not being properly handled or conducted or wasn't properly handled or conducted. Uh, and and they, they pursue the, uh, you know, calling the detective or detectives on a regular basis, wanting answers, and, and maybe go over the detective's head to, to his or her supervisor, uh, resulting in the detective getting uh, called into the office, um, which further deteriorates the relationship be, between the parties. And when communication stops, when it gets to the point where 
the detectives won't respond to a telephone call from the survivor. It, I mean, everything kind of comes to a halt because no information is being passed either way. If, if the survivor <clears throat> has uh, information of a possible lead or a suggestion for someone to be interviewed, um, you know, the detectives won't answer the phone and will not return a voicemail. Um, and I think it's critical to somehow keep the lines of communication open. And that's where uh, an organization like CAH, I think, can be invaluable because, uh, again, it, when there's no communication, it, it really sets everything back and actually has kind of come to a standstill. And if a neutral party such as CAH can intervene on behalf of the survivor and develop some type of relationship with a detective. It doesn't have to be a love relationship, but at least a communications relationship. Then there's a better chance of keep, keeping the survivor up to date and, and being able to pass other information or suggestions from the survivor to the police. Uh, do you share my feeling there about the importance of the communication and, 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 the the family, the next of kin, I don't think should ever allow it to completely stop. When it gets to the point where they just can't deal with the detectives any longer, the detectives won't deal with them, I think it's critical that they contact CAH or a similar agency uh, to try to get things back on track. What are your thoughts? Uh, the, identical to what you're saying, Denny, but... but like I said earlier, I tried to convince the uh, lead detectives or the detectives working the case that uh, all the family wants is uh, answers. They, they want to know that their loved one's case is, is being worked. And the um, uh, communication that uh, stops as a result of... Um, uh, frustration on the uh, officer, the detective's part. They uh, they're not going to give information, certain information to the family that would jeopardize or compromise the integrity of the investigation. But what law enforcement sometimes forgets is that we go to bed thinking about our loved ones. We wake up every morning thinking about our loved ones. So their loss never goes away. And this is something that law enforcement needs to understand. This is something that we try to convey to law enforcement. You are all we have here. And you're our only connection to hopefully finding some resolution to our son's murder or our daughter or mother. And they need to practice some compassion sometimes. This happens more than not, Denny. Um, after so many months, there are new cases that detectives have to start working. Um, and and, it, and families um, kind of fall to the wayside. So this is a real important part of what we do to, to help victims. Then what I do, Denny, is uh, I, as a liaison, <clears throat> as a liaison uh, for the family to the uh, law enforcement, uh, I make sure 
that uh, I pass on any information that um, the family gives me. Oftentimes the families don't know uh, how to handle the information that they have regarding a possible suspect or a lead. And, uh, you know, and I tell the family, give me the information, I'll pass it on. And I, I identify myself as a advocate for Citizens Against Homicide. And um, the detective, okay, fine, that, 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 that's cool. And then when I tell him about my background and uh, that I've been on the investigative team for homicides within the prison walls, uh, they... Thanks. They all of a sudden perk up and say, oh, okay. And then they're more cooperative with me. And they realize that I'm one of them. They're one of us. And I convince the family or tell the family they're on our side. They're they're not the bad guys. The bad guys are the ones that killed your son or your daughter or your mother or father. They're the bad ones. So I passed. <clears throat> the information on from the family to the law enforcement detectives, and I, I make sure that they understand that this is a lead that you can't miss. The, the, the leads that because the leads that are missed, um, or a lead that doesn't get immediate or coverage in a timely manner and thorough manner could be the most important lead they get for the case in the in the case and uh that my background helps and uh yes if um i can convince the families that you know take a step backwards accept the fact that what the detective is telling you is um, uh, true, then be patient. And uh, and I go back to the police, the detectives, and I tell them, um, can the family call you once a month? Or can we call you once a month? Or can we call you once a month? Uh, Get an update, even if there's nothing to report. Just yeah, just to let the family know that, that we're checking for them, and, and yes, they are continuing the investigation just to give them an update, just so they know that, that it hasn't been forgotten. Well, Shelly and Jean, either one or both of you, what do you find in all of the years of your advocacy that you've worked with with people, what is the biggest obstacle that you've run into? Uh, gosh. Well, I think it's the communication. That's, it, it's a big one. Yeah, and uh, I sometimes feel uh, apprehensive about having to call the family and say, you know, I have nothing. 
I have no information to give you because the detective hasn't called me back. Uh, he hasn't uh, returned my phone calls. Um, and, uh, or, or, or the detective says, I have no standing in the case, so they're not going to talk with me. And in those instances, I, um, I ask that the uh, family type out something that gives them, gives that they're giving me uh, permission to act as their advocate and have it notarized. And this is something that I uh, yeah, that's, that's how e- email, yeah, email to the detective and, and then they're, uh, they're a little bit more understanding you, and, you and cooperative. You mentioned obstacles. Uh, one for me, and most heartbreaking today is having to deal with the massive amount of, of uh, parole releases, inmate releases in, in, in our state anyway. You know, <clears throat> as, as a victim, we never ever would think that we'd see a day where murderers would be released, that they would get that privilege to get a second chance when our loved ones don't get a second chance to live. And this is the most heartbreaking part for me because I'm on the phone with families. How could this ever happen? How could, how could they get, be, be released? How could, how, could, how could this be happening to us? And I have no answers. That's, it, it's the worst time ever for a, a victim advocate. <clears throat> The, the, the scales of justice have tipped completely the opposite direction. Yeah. So that's the roughest part, that, that now are these people, these low-lives vermin that murdered my loved one is now being paroled to our communities. Uh, we have a governor who believes in, in second chances and redemption and and, and firmly believes that education and rehabilitation is going to change these people. And we're, we're just absolutely in shock. Yeah, the, the, our governor believes that. And, and there are numerous examples where um, the murderer is released from custody and goes out and kills again. Yeah. Or a rapist is released from custody and goes out and rapes again. Um, yeah, okay, uh, second chance, okay, for the petty thief, the, the uh, burglar, the uh, um, governor, however, is releasing guys who have... Uh, been convicted of uh, murder, uh, first degree, second degree, uh, and uh, isn't giving any consideration to the families. None. None. And, and a lot of times I will put that in a letter, <laughs> in, a full, in full opposition letters. Please put yourself in the shoes of this family, uh, hoping that Maybe we can 
tug at the hearts of the troll uh, board, but it's it's not so successful today. Yeah, well, and it's a it's a matter of it's a matter of of revictimization and and you know as a survivor of a tragedy like this how many times can they take being revictimized i mean every time this person even comes up for parole or every time they have to attend a court hearing every it just you know it's it's bringing it back up and back up and back up oh um, it is and you just can't imagine what these families go through each and every parole hearing it's just it's heartbreaking Delilah. It truly is. And, you know, is there any solution? Is there anything that, as advocates, we can do that will let up on some of this? I mean, you know, they they go through this for the rest of their lives. People think that once you you catch the murderer or, or, you know, whatever criminal crime they committed and get them behind bars, then you have received justice. Well, not really. <laughs> no. No. And there, there, it isn't. Um, and um, it, it, it just, it isn't justice. And one of the, we hate hearing closure, the word closure. <laughs> Oh my gosh, there is never any closure. Um, because a part of you died the day your loved one died. So, you know, today it's it's uh it's it's pretty rough for victim advocates, but we're hanging in there and we can we can never give up. We do the best we can with, with the uh, with what tools we have. Yeah. And the the constant reminder going back to defunding the police uh, agencies is is if we do that, we become a nation of anarchy. Mm-hmm. And um, the, um, the other word that uh, goes along with that is vigilantism. And those are things that we don't want. We're in fear of that. Yeah. And... Um, uh, yeah, I, I have no definitive words to say that would um, shed light on how advocacy, uh, I'm sorry, how advocates um, could have an impact on the uh, on the problem, uh, other than just keep plugging away and keep reminding the detectives, work the case, work the case, and keep keep us and the families informed. Exactly. And and voting accordingly is so important. We try to tell our members that you need to vet candidates. You need to make sure that they are victim-friendly and not inmate-friendly. So it's just... Voting is very important today also. Jane, let me, uh, and and Shelly, CAH is California-based, but that doesn't mean you only deal with Californians. Am I correct? You you will, will, uh, you know, help people from other states as well. Absolutely. Nationwide. And some abroad. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and let let me ask you this. I I've been talking to to people uh, from around the country, uh, Transparency Project members primarily, and a lot of them tell me that uh, in their particular jurisdictions. It could be the police department or the police agency. It could be the DA's office. It could be the court. But they are providing victim advocates. And now I've heard both good and bad. I've, some people have said that they're satisfied with the with the advocate assigned to them by the uh, department or the DA's office. Um, and others have said they never quite got the feeling that that person was truly on their side that the uh you know the paychecks getting signed by the county or the city or whatever it is and that uh that, that maybe the loyalty was more toward the agency than actually getting answers for them uh have, have you uh heard of any yeah. of this and gotten any feedback about how that those programs work Yes, Uh, we've had a a handful of uh, cases like that where the um, um, detective has been um, uh, apathetic and and, and I, I, I attribute that to laziness or um fear that they're not going to be able to uh provide the family with um reasonable a reasonable explanation or give the family information on the other hand now denny the uh fam- I've, I've had many much more probably quadruple the number of cases where the family has called me and said I'm not getting any of this, and he's not responding, and they don't care. And So I talked to the detectives, and what they're telling me is we care. We want to get these murderers off the street, but we're not going to share information. And I go back to the jeopardizing the integrity of, of the investigation. They're not going to share information with the family. So I take that back to the family, and they become acceptant of the uh, uh, of what I said, or what I told them, and they said, "Oh, okay." So everything is back to normal. But that is a result of positive communication, open communication, honest communication, and um, so maybe. Maybe that's the the answer, uh, Delilah, to to your question. Uh, communication. Well, and and we've had we've had a few cases where the DA's office, the, the victim advocate for the DA's office, have, have they've been uh, a little less than uh, forthcoming and compassionate, and and um, that is when families should probably give us a call. Because um, that's when when Gene kind of kicks in and and can make phone calls for them. If 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 any of our families out there are having problems with with just this, with with the 
communication issues with the, their their own advocates, give us a call because Gene is is really good at what he does. And and there are two other there are two other advocates that that we have, um, Bonnie Driscoll and um, Angie Gillum. Angie Gillum. Um, I've uh, given them cases and. Or say we for uh, communicate back to me what uh, what transpired. Why don't uh, Gene? It sounds like a good time for for uh, you and Shelley to to give out your best contact information and how people should reach out to you if they if they feel they need your services. Sure. I just want just just one last thing here before I give you that information. I want everybody to know that. Jean and I know how victims' families feel. We truly do. Um, we understand how it feels to want answers every day. We care deeply and have shared many tears with our families. At the same time, we want to encourage them to gain the strength needed to become proactive in their loved one's <clears throat> unsolved homicide case. We can never give up in keeping these unsolved cases in the hearts and minds of the media and local law enforcement. Should any of your listeners right now need help or know a family going through the worst times of their lives, losing a loved one to murder, don't hesitate to contact us. Our phone number is area code 209 743 7033. Our email address is CAH, as in Citizens Against Homicide, the advocate at yahoo.com. And please visit our website, citizensagainsthomicide.org. Thank you, Shelley. Um, and I, I certainly hope the uh, the listeners who are, who are in this situation will take advantage of uh, of your services. Maybe not take advantage, but utilize your uh, your services and availability, especially if they're in these situations where they are at a dead end as far as communicating with the with the detectives goes. That, that again, as you said, and, and I want to stress again that that's a, a critical element and and Shelley, you yeah. just mentioned also about keeping the case alive and. Uh, um, in fact, we did a uh, an episode on that a, a few weeks ago uh, of the importance of keeping the case out there. Uh, you know, through the through the local media, if, if if you can get them interested, an investigative reporter. Then I, I'm not sure how many true investigative reporters there are anymore. But uh, not enough. Uh, not that's for sure. A good investigative reporter. Uh, you know, digs for information, puts a little pressure on the police agency asking why, you know, why aren't things progressing, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, uh, and, and we found that a local reporter with a local newspaper or TV station uh, are sometimes compromised because their their news organization depends on the, the county sheriff and the county DA and so forth for information about about arrests and about prosecutions and so on and so forth. And they can't really afford to alienate their sources. So that they, I don't think they are as aggressive 
as a true investigative reporter would be. So, um, you know, you could certainly deal with them or contact them, but uh, if you could find a good independent investigative reporter, I think that's even better yet. And uh, But, again, either way, whatever you have to do to keep that case out there is, uh, the truth. is very important. It is. Uh, if, now, let's suppose... Uh, if if you had you know if the, if the listener doesn't call you, but is in this situation and decides they're going to shop around, if you will, or look around or research, and I, I have nothing against research, uh, I, you know, with today's day and age and the internet scams and all that, I think it, research is a good thing. Uh, but what would you recommend they look for if if uh, somebody was looking for another reviewing or researching victim advocacy organizations? I assume they should check for nonprofit. They don't want to end up making a phone call that getting billed, you know, for uh, for the phone call or something. But what else should uh, a person seeking an advocate look for? Well, um, a very conscientious private investigator, and take the. Um, uh, information that could be uh, the information that could crack a case. That's what they could seek. You know, they could seek out a conscientious uh, investigator. Um, follow the, the ladder of command and uh, naturally you start with the detective and go to his supervisor and blah, blah, blah. Um, the state dis, uh, attorney general, um, and then the um, uh, various agencies that uh, might be able to help. Uh, yeah, and then and then they, on the other side, whatever uh, a family may need in services, like if they have, um, uh, if the inmate is is soon going to be coming up for parole. You know, search uh, parole opposition advocacy groups or uh, if someone has just recently lost one, someone, you know, you just, you've got to do your homework, you've got to search. And we really, in our organization, try to cover all bases. We're there from the beginning and we'll be there through the court process and, and after. So they, they Search and, and whatever you're looking for, put that in there. Get the information you need. Um, just know that we try to cover all bases with our organization. And we, we, we want them to understand that, like Shelly said earlier, don't give up. Don't give up. That, that's, that's the key to the whole um, uh, frustration uh, issue. Uh, on the part of the families, they they need to do some legwork, um, and don't expect the agency or I'm sorry, the uh, organization that you contact to do the work for you. You have to put your foot forward and uh, say, "This is what I want to do." Yeah, you've got to become strong and proactive. Um, start a, a, 
get on social media, start a Facebook page in in uh, in honor of your loved one. Get get that information out. Keep a journal. Keep a journal of all your contacts with names, dates you you talked with him or her, um, agencies that they represent, and then a brief synopsis of what transpired in the conversation. Yeah, you know, Gene, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, the the number of people who reach out to the Transparency Project with questions and, and looking for uh, for guidance. The, the the when I asked them, well, did you approach the lead detective? Did did you approach mm-hmm. his boss or the sheriff or the the uh, chief of police or whoever it is? Did you talk to the DA? Did you do? Well, I think I did. I'm sure I did. Well, when did you do yeah. it? Well, geez, I don't I don't remember. You know, did you send him an email? Yeah, yeah, I sent an email. Okay, well, t- read me the email or send me a copy of the email so I can see what the discussion was. Well, I didn't save it, you know, and I'm, it, it makes it very difficult to if you have no documentation and and just, you know, and I think or maybe I did. Uh, so memorializing your activities, your conversations, if you send an email, make sure you keep a file and have that email in it, including your initial email and any responses to it. Uh, you, you need you need to build a record. And That's right. If you don't do that, uh, it, it it can hurt your chances if you don't have information. Yeah, well, I can attest to. to I said I was I, just real briefly. I was going to attest to that because I've watched Susan Murphy Milano work with so many cases over the years, and one of the things that she did in in a couple that I know of that was, you know, not relatively successful, and it did help in moving forward with cases. Was she had them create a whole big binder of everything, every, timelines communications, documentation of just everything. And like you say, a lot of these survivors, you know, I think a lot of it is that they're just so overwhelmed by everything. And that's one more task that is very difficult, but yet so very important. That is the truth. We're, We're thrust into this whole new world, Delilah, when something like this happens. And we did just exactly what you, you said. By the, by the time our case came to an end, I had two of the fattest binders of every single move we made. And it takes time. But see, uh, Delilah, we knew what to do. And it goes back to what I was saying. Oftentimes the families don't know what to do. They don't know what to expect or what the uh, detectives expect. Uh, And that's when they could reach out to us and we'll tell them what to expect and how to deal with the information that they have, uh, i.e. the leads that I talked about, Uh, a suspect's name. And why is he a suspect for the family? Because of this. But you don't just say, oh, I think so-and-so did it. Uh, well, why? 
Oh, I don't know. Or it just counts. Yeah, but it, it helps. Yeah, documentation is important. It does. It is. And 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 a lot of statements that I get from families is we know who did it. Uh, and uh, I said knowing, and I tell them knowing and proving are two different things. And uh, when I relay that back to the detectives, they say thank you. Thank you, because the families won't accept that response from them, but they'll accept it from me as an advocate, and uh, it helps the detective. But you know, I, I, I keep flashing back to your question, Delilah, um, and I keep coming up with the same answer. The word is communication. That's how we can have an impact as advocates have an impact on an investigation. Absolutely. That uh, Delilah mentioned our uh, my former associate and friend and her her dear friend Susan Murphy Milano and I, I worked had the opportunity to work with Susan for uh, for quite a while and uh, in fact uh, we started the Crime Wire. Uh, podcast and Delilah was right she was uh, very religious in, in getting her uh, her her ducks on the ducks in a row if you will and on the pond so yeah. uh, so that she was ready yeah we miss Susan yeah. yes we do yes we do um now, I'm just thinking um, a little bit about the uh, dealing with the police again, and 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 your your role, the role of the advocate in dealing with the police. And from uh, from previous cases, Jean, I know you've uh, you and Shelley have been involved. At Ch has been involved in. They're uh, a little better. I mean, certain police agencies, I found, I, I don't care if you're the Pope or, uh, you know, they're not going to be cooperative or they're, no matter who, who calls them or who they deal with. But I, I think uh, where the detectives really want to solve the case, really want to move it along and so forth, um, I think they appreciate too. I mean, I mean, some, some people resent having civilians suddenly horning in on what they think is police business and so on. But I think the good ones that that their if their bottom line is let's get this thing solved let let's uh, let's get the as Shelley calls it the resolution here and justice yeah. uh, then they shouldn't they really shouldn't resent that and I think the real good ones don't resent it I, I think they appreciate that you know everybody is is still working even if they aren't communicating directly with the victim's family anymore for very for whatever reason that at least the, the communication is there. And, you know, there can still be progress in the case. It's not at a dead end or stalled because of that. So I, I don't really think, uh, you know, that there's a valid reason for a detective who is truly interested in solving the case to resent uh, the involvement of, a you know, a neutral party or a party representing the, uh, the victim's family. What do you think? Exactly. And... The majority of detectives that we work with 
are wonderful, and they do care, and they appreciate our help. Every now and then, though, we will run into, Jean and I always believe it's like an ego problem, and there's no breaking through that. But that doesn't mean we stop pursuing answers. We just appreciate those that are on the same page with us, that want it. The, the, the bottom line is finding resolution, justice, getting answers. Uh, Shelly, could you for a minute, you mentioned the uh, CAH website. Uh, yes. Now, CAH produces a newsletter. Could you tell us a little bit about the newsletter, what's in it, and so forth? Yes. Another one of my jobs. <laughs> She's the editor. <laughs> editor With all of the pandemic and chaos in our state, so we've, we've kind of taken a step back from the newsletter. Uh, but that's going to be starting up again very soon. And uh, it's a it's a bi-monthly. It's, no, every other month we will we will feature a newsletter, and on the front page is usually uh, highlighting a victim. And at the end, if anyone has information, please contact that type of information by the cover page. We feature all of our uh, most recent parole opposition letter requests in letters. Um, in our in our letters, so it's it's another way to help families keep that keep keep the information out there for the public, and that newsletter is on our Facebook page and and it's it's on our website and it is sent to thousands of members so and readers. So it's just another really important tool that that we provide. Uh, you want to tell them how to get a copy of the letter? Or, or actually, you, they can read it on our website. Yes, yeah, they can read it, read it on, on our website. Or if, if uh, Someone would like to be. If most of our readers are are receiving the newsletter via email, but if there are many out there that prefer to get a hard copy and just send us an email if if, if with your information and and we can get that letter to you automatically every other month. Okay, thank you very much, guys. Uh, our time is about up here, so we're going to have to to uh, thank you both for being with us today and sharing your story and the story of CAH and your insights. And thank you for all that you do to help survivors. And thank you also to our audience for listening. Until next time, stay healthy and stay safe. Yeah.